I want to read something to you from, uh, it's from a long time ago, way, way back. But I think it applies to the condition of the church world today. And it's not about deception and all of that. It's, it's more about discouragement. It's more about discouragement. And see if it doesn't fit what most Christians here in America are experiencing today. Someone has written, I think my soul is a tame old duck dabbling around in barnyard muck, fat and lazy with, now that, don't take that personal. Your soul may not be in that condition, right? I'm not talking about nothing but your soul. I think my soul is a tame old duck dabbling around in barnyard muck. Fat and lazy with useless wings. But sometimes when the north wind sings and the wild ones hurtle overhead, it remembers something lost and dead and cocks a wary, bewildered eye and makes a feeble attempt to fly. It's fairly content with the state it's in. But it isn't the duck that it might have been. You know what the Bible says about weariness and overcoming it? Discouragement and overcoming it? They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They that wait upon the Lord. When you see that wait, don't think of taking a number and waiting your turn. It's not that kind of weight. It's not passive. It's active. Faith is not passive. It's active. That's why faith without works or corresponding actions is dead. How dead? Graveyard dead. I hear about deadness in churches, and I hear it from pastors who... Uh, who complain that their audience, and that's not you, and I'm so thankful for you. You're receptive today, and I appreciate that. And you're responsive, and I appreciate that. I haven't seen you run around the building lately, but then neither have I. Uh, but I, I'm capable of it. <laughs> Amen. Boom, boom, boom. We'll rev up this walker here and just see what the Lord does. Wouldn't it be great if you had a had a, a sound on this thing and you could just be standing in line somewhere and go boom, boom, boom. Say, what? They that wait upon the Lord. In the Hebrew, the word wait means to bind together by twisting. It's active. Something is happening. There's activity. Faith without works is dead. Corresponding actions is vital to the use of faith. Two things we need to keep from being discouraged. We need faith in God and a lavish love for God. Not just this kind of, you know, religious brand of love for God. It doesn't bring devotion. If you're in a church that's provoking you to just emotion, and we Pentecostals have been guilty of that. We think we've had a revival service when we see people all excited and emoting, all praising God. And I love to see that. But the appeal of the Holy Spirit this morning is not to your emotions, 
Because your emotions are subject to the circumstances that you're in at any given time. And if we can, in fact, I knew a minister lady one time, lady minister, her husband, they ministered as a team. And actually, she was associate pastor of the Holy Church of God when I came to pastor it. And what they would do, they said, we got some people, we got some people that really, really, really worship when the worship. And they kind of are over on this side near the front. And all the people on this side and in the back, they don't respond like that. So they wanted to talk to these people and say, listen, why don't you go sit here this Sunday morning? And why don't you go sit there this Sunday morning? Because if we mix some of these excited people in worship within some of these dead people in worship, they're going to inspire them to worship. That's manipulating the emotions. And even if somebody worships because they see somebody else worship, it may not well, it isn't their worship, and God will never receive it. Anyway, we do things to provoke emotion instead of devotion. And it's not emotion that's going to take you through trials and circumstances. It's deep devotion to Jesus Christ. And it's an active faith in God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They, not like the old barnyard duck, Look at somebody said, I ain't no duck. Or if you want to be uh, grammatically correct, say, I'm not an old duck. That's because you're a young duck, right? No, I'm talking about an attitude and an atmosphere of your heart and your life. We're, we're in a time called the perilous time of the last days. In the last days, perilous times will come. The Greek word is dangerous. Everywhere you look, there's going to be bad news except the word of God. Everywhere you look, there's going to be bad news except in the word of God. The only hope that you have is going to come from the inerrant, eternal word of God. I want to be a bearer of hope today. Arise and shine in these dark times. For thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee and shall be seen upon thee. Now, while I was waiting for her, she was at the ATM. There's an ATM in that corner. She was at the ATM. And while I was waiting to show her the way to get here, I decided I'll go ahead and pay our bill with a credit card. And when I walked up to pay our bill, she said, how are you, Pastor? I said, I'm fine. She said, I know your face is shining. I didn't know my face was shining. And it may not be shining to you right now. But I do have hope in Jesus. And my relationship with him is not like a barnyard duck. And my life in the spirit is more like an eagle soaring than a duck just waddling along trying to get by. You know, I try to get people to smile on Sunday morning. Because you need to give your face a break sometime. Amen? Someone said, and I don't know this for a fact, but someone said it only takes about three or four muscles to smile. It takes 144 to frown. Give your face a break. 
Can you say, man, you need a break today. So get out and get away to Venables Church. Hopefully, before the service is over, we can turn your frown upside down. Psalmist David put it this way, I'd fainted. I'd been crushed by life and the burdens of life because you can't escape them in this world. How many are in this world today? Only a couple of aliens here. The rest of them are in this world. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. You're all aliens. If you're a true Christian, you're not of this world. You're in it, but you're not of it. Praise God. And pretty soon, you're going to be out of it. Praise the Lord. Jesus is, in fact, coming soon. But He wants His church to shine before He comes. And especially now, when the Darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness, deep, thick darkness covers the whole earth. For the God of this world is relentless and he has blinded the minds of men. He's the prince of what? The prince of the air and he's also the prince of darkness. And that darkness has covered the entire earth. And, and, and if the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines into that darkness, there's an opportunity for people that would never be saved otherwise to be saved. Because that's the light that pierces that spiritual darkness. We are what? We're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, its saltiness, it's good for nothing. It doesn't matter how cloistered the choir is in beautiful robes and how great the orchestra is and how big the cathedral is and how wonderful the stained glass glistens when the sun shines through on Sunday morning or how tall the steeple if there's not life in those people inside there's no light to take outside in this world you are the light of the world. You are not the children of darkness, but you are children of light. So walk in the light and let your light shine before men. That's not just your good works. There's a lot of people that are not light in the Lord that are doing good works in the world. There's a lot of philanthropists that give away huge amounts to charities, but they're not light in the Lord. Well, I, I, I give to this or that. We have people that we give to and they never stop asking. We never give enough and we don't, we're not, we, we give to, you know, the, I got a pen about the disabled veterans and, you know, other things about something else and everybody needs something and you can give to all of these and not be light concerning the gospel. Not pierce that darkness. But walking in light means walking in love, even as Jesus walked. It shines to this world. It's outstanding to this world. In fact, it's the one thing that is so convincing by this singular thing. Shall all men, whether they admit it, acknowledge it, or you ever know it, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's something they see. Tertullian, he was a historian of the emergence of the first Christian movement, the first century church. And what he wrote about them, he said something so outstanding about these Christians. 
when they meet one another, even if they are not family, they have no personal affiliation, they come together for some event, when they meet one another, even if they are strangers, when they meet one another as Christians, they treat one another as if they were best of friends or part of their very family. Wow. Denominational structure and walls have separated us. And we need to circle the wagons. We need to come together. There are some walls that need to be strengthened because of false, erroneous doctrine that has to do with where you spend eternity. And we cannot fellowship with that. There's from such turn away. Amen. Having a form of godliness denying the power thereof from such turn away. But it doesn't mean that we just disfellowship each other and everybody. We need each other in this day. And we need to be encouraged to arise and shine. For our light has come. You're the light of the world. No man lights a candle, puts it under a bushel, but holds it high that all the world might see it. Can you say amen? In a sin-darkened world, light is a powerful force. Actually, the darkness enhances the light. The darker it gets, at twilight, the light is hardly visible. But at midnight, the light is strong. The light hasn't, doesn't have any more lumens. It doesn't need it. The darkness enhances the light. The darkness of the world is supposed to make us stand out. A city set on a hill which cannot be hid. But you can't do it if you're in the same attitude as they are in atmospheres, they are. No matter what you tell them, they're reading you by your countenance, by your attitude. The eyes of him that are joyful, Proverbs said, the eyes of him that are joyful rejoices the heart of others. It affects them. They see it. Your bumper sticker won't cut it. Your testimony won't cut it. They're going to read you. And if you don't match what you're saying, there's a contradiction. At some point, at some point, that person that you look in the mirror and see is going to have to convey something. Be ready, instant in season out, to give an answer to all men for the reason of the hope that is in you. No one is going to ask you about that unless they see you in a different state than they are. If you don't have hope, and it's not visible hope, I always put it this way, if it isn't viable in you, it won't be visible to them. If it isn't real real to you. If whatever's troubling you keeps you cast down all the time. Now here in church, we put on our best face. And sometimes it's not even good for church. And I'm looking up at this thing here. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But sometimes. You know what God told Jeremiah? He said, don't look at their faces. Why? Because when he gave the word of God and called them to repentance, they're going to scowl at him. They're going to frown at him. Amen? And they're going to scowl at you and frown at you when you testify to them. But you've got to show them something, not just tell them something. 
Amen. They got to see something. Tertullian was not a Christian, but he was just amazed when he saw their love, demonstrable love. Not just love one for another, but one to another. That's love that is active. It's not love. And if, listen, if I love you and I pass you on the roadside and you're out of gas and you're sitting there hoping somebody will come by or waiting on AAA or whatever if you don't have AAA, nobody's going to come by probably because it's dangerous to stop today and do things like we used to do (laughs) and if I come by pull right up beside you got a five gallon gas can in my trunk and I can go get you gas and get you going and I know it's you brother Taylor and I drive by and roll down my window and say what's up brother Taylor good to see you I love you man I'm out of gas. Yeah, I don't need you to say I love you. I need some gas. Seriously. I mean, it's that that crazy, but it's true. I love you, man. I love you. You don't know how many people have loved me down through the years. (laughs) They don't know if I'm alive or dead. (laughs) And don't care, evidently. But anyway, that's okay. God loves Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. And some people have even told me so. But if if you have it, if you have it within you to help and you don't, how dwelleth the love of God in you? It's something that has to be viable and therefore it's something that has to be visible. And Tertullian saw it. And if I say, I love you, brother, God bless you. You know, the Bible is so practical. You know what it said? If you see your brother and sister in need and you say to them, go thy way. In other words, first thing is get away so I don't have to feel guilty about not helping you. Go thy way. Oh, be warmed and filled with gas. Can you say not the bad kind, the good kind that will run your car? Yeah, be warmed and filled. I'm, I'm praying that God will make a way for you. Well, the way is right in my trunk. And if you have it by you, you could meet that need. And you don't meet that need. How dwelleth the love of God in you? Someone put it this way. You can give without loving. You can give to be part of a church. And you don't have to love God to do it. But in order to be a member, you have to give. And you can do it like joining a club and paying your dues. But don't expect that Malachi blessing. Amen. You can't claim it. You, you gotta give, not grudgingly, nor out of necessity, but willingly, for the Lord loveth and blesses therefore a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful means, is from the Greek word hilaru. And there's an English word we get related to that Greek word. Hilarious. Pamela was Pamela, one one day at church, she was standing and, you know, something. I don't know how she did this because she's not acrobatic. Now, this was when she was young, though. This is when she was much younger in a galaxy, far, far away in a time. For both of us, long, long ago. For both of us. For both of us. Neither one of us are acrobatic anymore, Right? <laughs> 
went to the doctor and he he said <laughs> doctor says oh, actually said the nurse she said mr venable just uh jump up on that table and i just sat there and i looked at her i said ma'am i don't jump anymore <laughs> she said mr venable could you crawl up on that table? I said, yes, ma'am, I can do that. I like it when they respond to me and we work together on it. I don't know how she did it. But somehow or another, talking with somebody, maybe gesturing, she got out of balance and went to step on a little kid's foot and jumped, fell over the pew Backwards, in between pews, fell over a pew backwards. That's hilarious. That would, that would go virus on, on YouTube. Oh, it's viral, right? Viral. Okay. They, they would, they would get a lot of hits on that, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Pastor's wife falls over a pew backwards. How many people would click on that? They'd click on it because it's hilarious. Hilariously giving. And we're not talking, get, get the dollar sign out of the picture right now. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God in light of what he's done for you, that you would offer your body, present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, literally your true spiritual worship. It's not what we're doing during the praise service. It's what we're doing when we live out our faith and our devotion to Jesus. And he knows that while we're worshiping him here. There are some people that keep appealing to emotion. They dance so hard on the stage to try to get people in the audience to jump up and down with them. I'm not saying it's there's no worship going on. I'm saying God knows the difference. Some way may be truly worshiping, but God knows the difference. Man looks where? Where he always looks, the only place he can see on the outward appearance. Where does God look? God looks deep into the heart. And he's looking for devotion. So how did these early Christians... Get through intense persecution. Intense persecution. And keep the victory. And let their light shine. And not let that persecution just stamp out their witness and their testimony so that the gospel came in its true form to the next generation, to the next generation, all the way down to our generation. And we need to be able to pass the baton through an example to others that are coming up. I want to be an example to the flock, not just a preacher. I live this thing. It's part of my life. It's part of my being. My light, I want it to shine. I don't want to get so caught up in what's going on in the world about me that I don't understand what I have in Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, it starts out with, to those Christians who were scattered, scattered in the first verse. That meant they were under such intense, bitter persecution. They had to leave their homes, their vocations, 
for fear of their very life and their family's life. And they had to get away from that area. There were even guilds. Jesus talked about it in, 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 in the book of Revelation. I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. If you want to define true riches. Now God don't want you to do without. He's a provider. We just sung about that. But what he provides primarily is grace. Sufficient. And you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have the sufficiency of grace to take you, because trials are going to come to Bill Gates. Trials are going to come to John D. Rockefeller if you're far that far back. No one escapes the trials of life. No one can live in a bubble. One, one billionaire tried to live in a bubble. He's so afraid of getting sick and dying, he couldn't enjoy his, his millions of dollars. How did they survive? I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. Why were they impoverished? Because if you were a Christian, part of the persecution, there were guilds, the equivalent of our trade unions today. You don't work as an iron worker unless you're part of the iron workers union. You don't work as a, a, a I don't know how it is now, but you don't work as an electrical. I was part of the electrical work, workers union when I worked for Tap Electric before I quit that job and took this job. Praise God. You didn't work. You couldn't make a living for your family. You had to go seeking work. You might have to be out gleaning in a field and maybe you were a carpenter and getting paid well and here you are with your family gleaning in a field for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what God says to them? I know your poverty. Does he want us all to live in poverty? No. But he says, if those kind of trials come to you, you're going to need something to keep you from doubting me and keep you from wanting to just give up on me. Because I'm not guaranteeing nowhere in the Word of God that those conditions won't come upon you, that you will be tried because of your faith. There's no guarantee. The people that are trying to guarantee that are taking Scripture out of context and using it to get filthy rich themselves off the back of desperate people that really need help from God but more importantly they need to get a hold of the sufficiency of his grace I know thy poverty but thou art rich Satan is going to persecute you you're going to be under Intense persecution. Get ready. I'm going to tell you something. The average Christian and the average group of people in church this morning are not prepared for persecution. The persecuted church is a pure church. It's always purified. Trials always purify. That's why they're fiery. That's why they're fiery trials. Fire purifies. The silversmith, the silver is heated until all the impurities are burned out. They tell me in the early days of working with silver, he, he, it wasn't, the heat didn't get turned off until he could see his reflection in it. 
you know what trials are supposed to do for Christians? It's supposed to bring us closer to Christ-likeness and less like their selfish old barnyard duck selves. Ready to either quit God or question God at every turn. We're not ready for persecution in America. We've been served pablum on Sunday morning. We're not ready for meat. Well, Brother Venerable Paul couldn't give a meat because they couldn't bear it. Yeah, and he said, I speak this to your shame. You should be ashamed when you should be out winning others. You still have a need that someone minister unto you the first principles of the oracles of God. When the salt has lost its savor, it's what? Good for nothing. I love what David Jeremiah said one Sunday. I think it was David Jeremiah, one of those preachers on television. And he said, no, it was Chuck Swindoll. He said to his audience, he said, people expect me to be good because I'm paid to be good. But when you're good, it really impresses them because you're good for nothing. (laughs) They expect something out of the preacher. There's an expectation of me. Well, they know I'm a pastor. But they need to see something from you too. Not just me. It's not, it don't work just for me. It's supposed to work for the children of God. My glory will come upon you in those times. My glory will be seen upon you. Can you say amen? So arise and shine because thy light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee and shall be seen upon thee. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. The first thing in their foundation is now they're saved by the grace of God and because of reconciliation to God, grace and peace is now being multiplied to them. When grace is multiplied, you've got the grace you need to face anything you face. When the peace of God is reigning in your heart and multiplied, It's a peace that passes knowledge. And you can pray, and that peace will transcend and override the worry, the fear, and the anxiety in all of us. Don't you hate what's happening in the world? Yes. Aren't you upset by what the political pundits are saying and doing? I want to kick my television, but I paid too much for it. And it would hurt Me, not them. Do I carry that out into the public? What a world. What a sinful mess. What an awful person. What we're into. Yes, we are. When you see these things, when you see them as a blood-bought child of the living God, you need to see it differently. 
Grace and peace is multiplied to you so you can see what we're seeing, sense what we're sensing, and not be overcome by it and not be overwhelmed by it and not put your light under a bushel when you go out into the marketplace of the world. So that people can see, what? You're not upset? You're not cast down? You're not toe up from the flow up? Huh? You're not? How are they going to know that? Because the eyes of him that is joyful rejoices the heart of others. If they don't see it in you, forget about witnessing to them. You're going to have to corner them. You're going to have to try to get them to listen to you. They're not going to ask you, but when they ask you, that means they're open to your testimony. That's They want to know, where are you getting this hope? You can't get it from CNN. You can't even get it from Fox. You can't get it from none of them because the news is bad. And if they're going to report it, they have to report the bad also. There's not a good news channel. Except the gospel. The good news of the God. How beautiful upon the mountains of, are the feet of them that bring good tidings and publish peace. Hallelujah. Good news from a far country is like a cold drink of water. To a man who's dying of thirst, the scripture says. Hallelujah. Amen. Out of your belly, your innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. I got it right. First time in several times. Usually I'm in the middle of a strong anointing and I say livers of riven water. Amen. And have to back up and correct it. We, we need that. It's in us. He's put it in us. Praise God. Be ready to give an answer to all men for the reason of the hope that is in you. That's what gets their attention. Hallelujah. They're scattered by bitter persecution. But they've been saved. They've been sanctified by the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Grace be unto you. And peace be multiplied. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten, hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance. This is ours and it's eternal. Listen to it incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved for you in heaven for you. Verse 5, we're going to start as we go to the end of this. Reserved where for you? In heaven for you. In heaven for you. Be thou faithful. Here's what he says. Satan will persecute you. Some of you shall be put in prison. It's happening in the world today. The devil's behind it all. People are doing it, but the devil's behind it all. Some of you will be put into prison. Strap in. Buckle your religious safety belt. Churches that want to pat you on the head and pat you on the back and send you out into this world when persecution comes and you're ill-prepared for it, you will be cast down. You will question God. Your faith will shake and shudder under the pressure of it. It's coming. It's coming. It's begun. 
It will get worse as time goes on. For evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't know if it's rumor or not, some of the bad news. There's some state that want to, if, if a Bible is bought, they want to track it because they figure if you're a Bible packing person, you're a threat. You're one of those right wing extremists that is liable to shoot up something or a Bible. A Bible? Carrying a Bible labels you. But it doesn't label you as a follower of Christ anymore. It labels you as some kind of extremist. You don't believe in this moral moray. You don't believe in this. You don't believe in that. And thereby you are an enemy of the culture. You're an enemy of, of, of America. You're anti-American. Because America has become what it's become. This is not a Christian nation. There's some Christians left in this nation. And it's not everybody that names the name of Christ. How do you know? Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Can you say man? If you're a Christian, which means a follower of Jesus Christ... You're not just following the devil and his crowd any longer. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Can't claim my covenant. Can't claim my promises. Unless you separate yourself unto me. And separate yourself from the culture that is anti-God and anti-Christ. We want to blend with the world all week long. And sing his songs, the song of the redeemed on Sunday. It don't work. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work today. It makes people squirm. Don't squirm, and I won't notice. But God knows whether you squirm or not. God knows. See, there's a truth in worship he requires. We Pentecost, and we see spirit and truth, we say, see... I jump up and dance. Don't you criticize me. I'm in the spirit. No, he doesn't require you to just be in the spirit of worship. He requires truth in your heart. Because he knows whether you're devoted to him or not. And all of the emotions that we emote is not going to take the place of a devotion that will take you through the persecutions and the trials. He said, marvel not if the world hate you. It hated me before it hated you. He said, if the world love you, you don't have anything to glory in or to praise God for. Because the world loves its own. And you're not of the world. And he said, here's what I want you to do. And this is how to get through it. Listen carefully because you're going to go through it. You're going to go through it in this world. You're going to go through it. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Cheer up. Cheer up, church. I've overcome the world. I've went before you. It can't harm you if you don't let it get to you. And here's how you do it. When men cast out your name as evil and speak all manner of evil about you, we got an old second car years ago when, I, when we first got saved. 
And I worked for Tampa Electric. We got a, we lived on an acre in Dover. Somebody asked me one time, oh, you've seen the white cliffs? I said, no, I've seen the white sugar sand where nothing grows but palmettas. No good thing ever come out of Dover. <laughs> I mean, well, Mel Tillis did. Mel Tillis came out of it. You don't get that because he stuttered, but he sang perfectly. If this doesn't change, if people are not prepared for this, when people cast your name out as evil, we got a second car and my wife made a statement. Somebody heard her make it. And she said, boy, I'll be glad when we get a second car so I can run around. Meant go get groceries, go pay bills and those things. Guess what the next thing we heard? Sister Venable's running around on Brother Venable. First thing came to their unsanctified religious mind was, she's running around. She's running around on Brother Venable. No, she's not. She's paying bills and buying groceries. What is wrong with you people? I mean, I had a real problem with the church when I first got saved. Because I thought everybody was sanctified. Instead, they were sanctified. Can you say, man, they were brittle and burnt and it was messed up. I thought everyone was going to love each other and love us. We went around church people and they told us dirt on every, we're young Christians and they're telling us dirt on everybody in the church. People we respected and honored and were role models for us. Did you know what they did? No, I didn't know. Uh, well, let me tell you, and I, I, I wasn't mature enough in the Lord to say, stop right there. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except before two or more witnesses. Don't let these stories start and these rumors spread. This, and on Sunday mornings, come tie my bow tie. Somebody's talking in tongues. Tie my bow tie. I'm not mimicking tongues. But that's what it was worth to God. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal, no love in it. And without love, everything is voided. These people are scattered. When they cast your name out as evil, it hurts. When they doubt all manner of lies about you, it hurts. It hurts your emotions. And you know what God tells you to do when it hurts that bad? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What does exceeding mean? Does it mean just drag into church? Oh, I went through it at work. They did this and they, they're going to do it. They're going to do it as sure as you let your light be seen. They're going to do it. And it's going to get worse. And I dare say what's coming from pulpits in a lot of churches in America is not preparing true Christians to stand the test of it. And they're going to get down and they're going to get discouraged. we got a political thing coming up here. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we don't intercede and pray, there's no man on either side. We were shaking our head the other day said is this the best is this the best that both sides can come up with in the whole United States of America to lead this country is this all is this all is this the 
Is this the only alternative? I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If we don't, if we don't have God's blessing, no man, no woman, no matter how good intentioned or well respected, they can't help us. We're under the judgment of Almighty God, and a man can't make us great. And I'm not casting aspersions on Trump. I would pick him over the other guy. Well, I would. You can do what you want to do. You can run your dog for president and vote for him. I mean, you could. Today, you know, a guy, guy said he was going to marry his cat. I mean, that's how far under the darkness of deception the whole world is. We can't tell a man from a woman, a boy from a girl. A veterinarian can. And he don't need a CT scan. He just holds it up. He said, that's a girl. That's a boy. I thought, we need a vet for president. (laughs) Woe to them that put light for darkness. And that's how far. That's the judgment we're under. We're under judgment. Darkness has covered the earth. God is saying, you push back the light. You don't want the light. You don't want me. There's one alternative. If there's no light, there's total darkness. And when darkness covers the earth and gross darkness, gross darkness means thick, total. It's not just the absence of light. It's something more sinister and subversive. It's Satan's rule. It's Satan's rule, Satan's influence. Why is all this happening? Why does a man go in and kill his wife and two beautiful children and then kill himself? We're under spiritual darkness. And God has allowed it. You can see it in Romans chapter 1. You can see why. You can see what. And you can see where it's headed. And the only thing that will make a difference is the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the It's the gospel and the bearers of it. It's the light bearers. The light will penetrate that darkness, but nothing else will. They can't see what we're saying. They can't hear what we're saying because they can't see. For the God of this world has blinded their minds. So as long as the target is the mind, and we're preparing ourselves to deliver a theologically true message and we've got enough boldness to go out there and tell it until Satan is bound in them. They can't see what we're saying. How shall they believe upon him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he go except he prepare himself to be eloquent, to be uh, be effective, to be this, to be that? No, unless he be sent. And before you think about financial support so he can go, amen, think about God's call and hand and anointing upon him. The reason the old-time revivalists were so effective is because God sent them, and he worked with them. And when they preached, the message wasn't extraordinary because I wanted to know what they were doing. Now, I've read Spurgeon's messages where the first megachurch in London, people were getting saved every Sunday, and I said, what was he preaching? And he was preaching some good stuff, but it's nothing that I haven't preached. He was teaching good stuff, but it wasn't nothing I haven't taught. 
But something was happening prayerfully. And intercession was being offered. And God was moving by His Holy Spirit and convicting those hearts and opening those eyes and penetrating that darkness of the soul. So it's not enough just to preach it. We have to intercede. And we have to let our light shine. Because nobody sees it if you put it under the bushel of discouragement. Nobody sees it if it's under the bushel of distraction. If you don't have grace and peace being multiplied to you, what are you going to use, fall upon, to get through it? Here's what Jesus said to the church of his day that relates right to us because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. Some of you, Satan is going to persecute. It's going to get heavy. Some of you are going to be imprisoned for your faith. And some of you are going to be put to death. Now here in America, you don't tell the American Christian that. What you tell the American Christian is, you'll never suffer for Jesus. Suffering is over when you get saved. There's nothing but blessing on you. No one's going to persecute you. They're going to, they're going to envy you because of your prosperity. They're going to see how rich and wealthy and healthy and life perfectly lived is your life. And they want to come, come to God so they can be perfectly, perfectly wealthy, perfectly healthy. Doesn't, listen, I pray for the sick. But in that group of people, you don't even get sick. You don't even say you're sick. One guy blowing nasty yellowish stuff out of his nose, coughing like a, you know, during the flu season. Somebody saw him blowing all that out of his nose and coughing, and he saw them see him, and he said, I'm being healed of a cold. Well, at least he admitted he had one. So I'll give him that. I mean, they get to where, don't say it, and it won't happen. What you say is what you get. If I don't say it, it ain't happening to me. Wow. We create. And it took hold. And the people following these guys that live in opulence, that ride in their Bentley back to their palace, palatial home, when persecution comes, what happens to those people? They're not prepared. They don't have a devotion enough to Jesus to withstand. When Jesus says, some of you are going to be put in prison, all of you are going to be persecuted in one way or another. And when they do, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward down here for that. God's going to give you double, double, double. They sing that in Africa, double, 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 double. God's going to double, double your wealth. Because you give to that ministry. They're not prepared for persecution. But you can't escape it. It's going to intensify. And when it comes, Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward where? In heaven? I gotta wait till I get to heaven? I gotta be devoted enough to take it here in order to have eternity? eternity with God and all of the blessings of the Lord what does he give us here grace and peace be multiplied 
I'm going to tell you something. If grace and peace isn't multiplied, you can live in that mansion. You can ride in that Bentley. But when the, when the heaviness comes on you, you can't buy that peace at any price. And you can't go out and sit in your fancy car and feel safe. Can you say amen? The only way to have that is if you are fully devoted to following Jesus. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. For what fellowship hath light and darkness? What fellowship hath Christ with Belial or the devil? Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. And then it, then it goes on to say, as it is written, saith the Lord, I will walk in them and I will live in them. Hallelujah. Praise God. That word walk in them is perambulate. It means to move about freely. It means these are my children. They are sanctified. They are separate unto me. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. They rejoice when they're persecuted because they're identified with me. So he told them straight out, you want to be my disciple? You serious about that? I'm not talking about joining that church and getting rich and living in opulence. I'm talking about following Jesus. All those that will live godly shall suffer persecution. All those that live godly. Well, I'm not being persecuted. Well, then you need to get saved. Well, I'm saved and not being persecuted. Then you need to get sanctified. Start living the life instead of living a lie. Can you handle that this morning, this early? Our time is almost gone, but we started late. Listen, you know what I'm talking about. Persecution is here. It's going to intensify. And the people going to just have a good time at church and be promised nothing but wealth and smooth roads, they're not ready. And yet Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, it starts with self-denial, not self-indulgence. It starts with taking up your cross. Oh yeah, I'm bearing the cross for the sake of Jesus. They call me Holy Roller at work today. They're not going to invite me to the office party because they know I'm a Christian. They don't want me around. Huh, huh, huh. Wah, wah, wah. Make me want to call the ambulance for them. It's going to be all right, Mike. I'm almost done. But I've got the joy of Jesus today. I'm going to tell you something else that you're supposed to have that we see little of that got them through it. Some of you are going to be put in prison. Some of you are going to be put to death. Be faithful unto death and you receive a crown of life you receive eternal life see it's not here where it all happens it's there and we're not we're not supposed to be living just for here we're supposed to be living for there can you say man and that's what got them through it they were not earth bound anyway having food and raiment and His promise to never leave you. His promise to never leave you. So grace and peace can be multiplied. Hallelujah. Be content. 
For we brought nothing into this world. We can't take anything out. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Say true riches. True riches. Because if that rich man is an ungodly man, when he draws his last breath, that's the last association he has with his riches. And now he faces eternity without God. But when a Christian draws their last breath, it all changes. That's when our riches really show up. Our true riches. What happens when a Christian draws their last breath? When Bill Gates, if he doesn't get saved, who was interviewed about his religious persuasion years ago, and he said, as he was accumulating more and more millions and now is a multi-billionaire, he said, by the, because of the sheer allocation of time, in other words, I'm too busy making money hand over fist, by the sheer allocation of time, I don't have time for religion. I'm going to tell you what he's going to have time for. He's going to have time to die because it's appointed to men to die. But it's not over. And after this, the judgment. And if you want to read the judgment, Revelation chapter 20. But when a Christian dies, at, at, at the worst state he could possibly be in when he draws his last breath, Paul said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, God's not through with me. I've got something to finish here, but my heart's already there. I'm in a straight betwixt two, and I'm willing to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You mean heaven's better? Then some of these preachers are living here. Your best life is now. You didn't know that? That's a multi-million dollar, it's a million seller book by a multi-million dollar preacher that has 30,000 people in church this morning. Not prepared for the persecution that's coming. Am, am I going to be hurt? I don't know. I wish I could tell you nobody's going to harm you in any way. I'll tell you one thing they're going to hurt. They're going to hurt your feelings. And feelings are important. That's why he said when it happens, rejoice. It's because of me. It's because you're related to me. If they persecuted me and you follow me, what do you think is going to happen to you? They're going to persecute you. So, poor Oh, me. No, I'm his. It's a badge of authenticity. I'm telling you about the people that embrace me. Don't get me started on the people that reject me. When I worked for Tampa Electric, a guy came up and he wanted to embrace me. I'm a new guy on the crew. He didn't know I was a preacher, not even a Christian. And, and uh, you know, well, no, he knew I went to church. That's all he knew. And just going to church don't necessarily mean you follow Jesus when you get out of church. So that didn't mean anything to him. So when I worked for Tampa Electric on a line crew, after about six weeks, a guy said, Hey, Robert, we're going to the bar after we get through, and I'm buying. I'm buying. So now I could be part of the gang. I could be part of the group. I'm new on the job. Now they will embrace me. They'll accept me. 
I can go have a drink with them and we can tell stories to one another. And No, I can't. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I said, man, I appreciate you asking me. But I said, I'm a Christian and I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't go and, and drink. He said, you can have a Pepsi. I said, no, it's not the alcohol alone. It's, it's the environment. Cause I've seen these guys that drank too much in the bar over the weekend and come in hungover on Monday morning and see some of them gals that looked so beautiful that they were hitting on while they were out for the weekend. Follow us out to the job site. And they were nervous because they were married. And by the way, that beautiful gal at the bar, out in the sunlight when you're sober, Didn't look so beautiful anymore. I know, sister. It's the truth. I've been out in this world. I Come on, give me a fist bump over here. We've been out there, haven't we? We know what that's all about. I was so glad nobody followed me. Pamela followed me to work one day. While I was working, she put a tail light in my pickup truck. Oh, having a redneck wife has its benefits. Can you say, man? They had stopped me for a broken tail light, and Pamela coming in the parking lot while I was working, going to surprise me. Come out, and I got a brand new tail light in my truck. And Pamela came out and put the tail light in in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Amen. I don't even put them in. They're too hard to reach. I'd go have my car service say, hey, check that tail light, will you? Friend of mine, it's good to be a Christian. But here's what happened. He got in my face and said, you think you're better than us. And he, the spittle just, you know, like Mike used to sit on the front row and he's, he has moved back. And I said, no, sir, I'm not better than anybody. I'm not better. Jesus has forgiven my sin, and I've committed my life to follow him. And it would be inappropriate, but it's nothing personal to you. If you were having a barbecue, I'd come eat your ribs. Not these ribs, the one he cooks. I drink iced tea with you in an environment that doesn't associate with what that does. He didn't get it from that day on. He was on me. And he stayed on me. And he was on me so strongly that I actually put money back in my wallet enough because I didn't have a credit card back in those days. I had money to call a cab. I was under that kind of pressure to call a cab. I said, I'm, I'm either going to lose the victory because you're a little preacher. You know what a lot of people do? And I say this embarrassingly about my old flesh. They mistake kindness for weakness. And I assure you, being kind doesn't mean I'm weak. I'm not weak. 
You've seen me stand my ground. I don't do it often. I'm not proud of it when I do. But I'm capable of it. And I knew I'm capable of it. And to tell you the truth, when he was spitting in my face, calling me names, I wanted to do what I used to do. You say, but you, he was probably bigger than you. That never stopped me before. As long as I got a lick in, even if I lost, I got my lick in. No, I, I couldn't say you could see, you should see the other guy. No, no, but he knows. He knows I'm not going to stand there and take it. Well, I stood there and I took it. And one day it got so bad. I had, I told my wife, I said, rather than lose my testimony, I will just leave the job site. And we may be out in the middle of nowhere with Tampa Electric. I will call. They didn't have Uber and all the other stuff. I will call a cab. And they can come and get me. I formally quit. My union representative will, I'll tell them why. You can either get my job back or they can let me go. But I don't have to take this. And I'm not going to take it. But I'm not going to hit nobody. I'm not going to cuss nobody. I'm just going to walk away. You can have it. God will make a way if I put him first. Always has, always will. I didn't have to walk away. But I went on the other side of the truck and I prayed. I said, Lord, see grace and peace be multiplied. It takes grace to walk away. It takes grace to shut your trap. Because the tongue is unruly. Tell me about it. Amen? It's unruly. That's why the first evidence of being filled with the Spirit, the tongue is controlled by the Spirit and not by your old, ugly flesh anymore. It's an unruly evil. Full of deadly poison. Finish that. And set on fire of hell. We preach together around here. And what? Evidently, if it's full of deadly poison set on fire of hell, it's a deadly weapon. And it's not just what we speak to people, it's what we're speaking, hearing ourselves say. Self deprecating. When we're the children of the Most High God. Self-pity. Poor old me. Listen carefully. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Begotten us again? That's born again, church. Amen. He's begotten us again. We've been born again. Unto a lively, literally a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be if it's necessary to keep your faith and hold your testimony 
you are in heaviness through manyfold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory when at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And what brings the kind of devotion that bears up under all of that? Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, (laughs) rejoice, With joy unspeakable. Whoa! Where are those Christians today? Who are these people? Joy? What takes you through it? What kind of joy? A little happy time at church for 30 minutes while the praise team revs you up? And then go right back under it when you walk out and come back in the same condition you left with, oppressed, depressed, distracted, discouraged. Joy unspeakable took them through it. Full of the glory of God because I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm set apart unto God. My treasure is laid up in heaven and the thief can't steal it down here. Joy unspeakable. Unspeakable means indescribable. It's a joy that we can't put into words. What? Where? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where did it go? How are we going to get through persecution without it? They got through because they had it. They were so glad to be saved. They understood what saved really means. It wasn't just a given. It excited them. Motivated them. And they had deep devotion to the one who bought and paid for it at the cross. And you couldn't quench their joy. You couldn't head them off if you cut off their head. That's why Jesus could tell them. Some of you are going to get put in prison. All of you aren't going to get rich and live happily ever after down here. But you're going to have happily ever after. This is a short trip. That's forever. Keep your heart. Lay up your treasure in heaven where the thief can't steal it. The moth can't corrupt it. For where a man's treasure is, it's where his heart is going to be. Their heart was set on heaven. And they had joy unspeakable in jail. And Jesus had it. An example to us. He endured the cross. How did he get through that? How did he get through that? He endured the cross despising the shame. For what reason? What, what got him through? The worst of trials. For the joy that was set before him. Hallelujah. For the joy that was set before him. He looked past the pain, the pressure, the immediate, and looked through time. And he saw a man named Brother Taylor. (laughs) Not Brother Taylor then. He saw a man named Taylor. 
a hopeless sinner lost without God. He would have hope. He would come to the cross if he would pay the price for him. And he said, he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He saw a woman named Pamela. He said, if I pay the price, she'll have an opportunity. She's helpless and hopelessly bound on her way to hell for the joy, for the joy that is set before him. He endured the cross. Remember the song? I love it. When he was on the cross, we were on his mind. That's, and it was that joy, that joy, that joy that got him through it for the joy of the Lord. What does it give us? What we need when we're weakened by it all. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Without it, without it, what are you? You have no strength to endure. You have no strength to withstand. You have no strength to overcome. You are constantly overwhelmed by it all. And if the world ever sees a church, talking about collectively the real born-again believers with joy unspeakable on Monday morning. I remember going into where I'm not just going to brag on me. I'm going to tell you how this works. I don't always have victory, but I get the victory. I don't stay down. That's why I'm still standing. Not because I don't get knocked down. I'm in the locker room on Monday morning, come out of a glorious church service on Sunday, feel like there's some residue of the anointing on me. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got the victory. I don't even know what I'm whistling. I could have been whistling anything. It wasn't a hymn. I know it wasn't a hymn or gospel song. I was just happy whistles. Have you ever had a happy whistle or a happy just exuding happiness on Monday morning? Everybody come in hungover, guilty because of their sinful weekend. And here I am down at the end of this change of the shift locker room and I'm just whistling and somebody on the other side of the locker says who is that over there whistling and I thought what have I done I'm happy is that a crime to be happy if everybody around you is unhappy it sure is I have trouble around pastors they all look forlorn. Here I come happy and maybe I have a little levity because I'm up instead of down. Whatever you do, don't do that. We're used to people being long-faced. We Pentecostals used to say, boy, we fit the bill for Pentecostalism back then. We had long dresses. Not me. We You ladies had long dresses, long sleeves, and long faces. At least... And long hair, too. You cut your hair, Jezebel. You... Uh, honestly, seriously. Come on, you remember those days. We matched. We coordinated. Then we went out to a world and said, You need Jesus to look like you? I don't think so. I got enough problems. I got enough burdens to bear. I don't need another burden of religion. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free 
and be no more entangled in the yoke of bondage. Can you say, man, you'll get around people try to put a yoke on you. That don't mean using grace for license. It means don't get around people that the first thing out of their mouth is to find something wrong and start judging you. Can you say, man, don't be entangled in the yoke of bondage. Come unto me. Not to them or to that denomination, but come unto me. Jesus sets people free. Can you say, man, you that labor and you that are heavy laden. You know who they were? People that were letting the Judaizers just absolutely disqualify them for every reason in the world from God's blessing on their life. Do nothing about grace and didn't want to know nothing about grace. But when you come to Jesus, take my yoke on you. And learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your soul. And I'll send you forth as sheep among wolves. Hallelujah. Be you wise as servants, but harmless as doves. Say this in closing. This joy was occurring during bitter persecution. Made this note about midnight. When we focus on our present trials and tests, we are worn down and wearied. If we faint in the day of adversity, the scripture says, your strength is small. It's a test. And where does your strength come from? Baptism in the Holy Ghost. Listen, I've seen just as much toe up from the flow up tongue talking people as anybody else. If you don't have the joy of your salvation, if you don't have the joy of Jesus, if you don't have the joy of the Lord, you have no strength to endure, no strength to bear up under it. But if you, that, what did they have? He said, in light of all this that is saved and sanctified us and give us an eternal hope that fadeth not away, we have joy unspeakable and full of the glory of God. So nothing down here is going to steal our joy. Take our song. Not hanging our harp on no willow tree. We don't belong to the devil anymore. We belong to God. Are you deeply convicted by this? I certainly hope so. I've spent a lot of time preaching something that should convict us all. If it doesn't affect you, I've failed. Now, I don't expect you to jump up and run around the building. I expect you to repent. Thank you for the one repentant right here and the rest of you. I'm still done. I'm almost done. But if you don't do something different about what you're under, if you don't do something different, if you don't rejoice and be exceedingly glad instead of being exceptionally sad, then people are going to quit listening to you when you tell them what God can do for them. People will quit listening to you because they'll say all they do is go to church on Sunday They're no different. Oh, they don't drink. They don't chew. They don't go with the girls that do. They don't do this. They don't do that. But they have no joy. They have no peace. 
And they have no right to tell me what God can do for me. They're living as if there's no hope. When Trump lost, I saw Christians, and I believe one of the reasons God didn't put him over. I'm going to tell you this, you ain't going to like me for it, but I've been unliked for a lot less things. If you don't forgive me this, you, you need to get saved. We quit interceding for revival in America. And we thought if we can get that man in there, he's going to make America great. He didn't. He can't. No man can. But a lot of Christians lost the victory when he failed. And a lot of false prophets showed themselves to be false prophets. And the way they tried to squirm out of it. They said, well, the devil, no, the devil can't overcome God. Well, the Democrats stole it. The Democrats can't overcome God. You reckon? Well, if the devil can't and the Democrats can't, it must not be in God's will. And the false prophets can't squirm out of it. Amen? Well, why didn't he win? How many Christians put all their hope now is in a man of flesh and blood in a place of political power to change the course of a nation? And we stopped interceding for revival. We became extremely political. But totally unspiritual. Cursed be the man that trusts in man and maketh flesh his arm. He shall be like the heath. Picture a tumbleweed. Fruitless and worthless. He'll be like the heath in the desert. Who inhabits the parched places of the earth. Cursed be the man. That's the curse of trusting in man and making flesh your Some trust in horses, some in chariots. We will trust in a political figure. No, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You think a horse and a chariot's going to change the battle? Look at Moses up there. Horses and chariots are engaged in battle. But if he wasn't interceding to the God of glory in prayer, amen, Israel is losing that battle. Can you say, man, no matter how many men they can put on the battlefield, we quit praying for revival. We give up on revival. We're going to see it all change. No. God says no. And if God didn't say no, It would have happened. God says no. We couldn't handle it. We got cast down. Forlorn. Oh Lord what do we do now? Let me give you something to do. How about we trust God? Cursed is the man that trusts in man. And maketh flesh his arm. He'll be like the heath in the desert. That inhabits the parched places of the earth. And he won't see when the good comes. Because he's so 
cast down, despondent, and discouraged over the bad that he's looking at, that's glaring at him. But blessed is the man. Oh, come on, let's, let's, let's end on a high note. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. He will be like a tree that is planted by a river of water, and he won't even see when the drought comes. He said, I don't care if it don't rain for a million years. My roots are down in a stream of living water, and I am going to be fruitful, and I'm going to bloom, and I'm not going, I'm not going to survive the end times. I'm going to thrive in the end times, because I don't trust in chariots, and I don't trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to know why some big name evangelists were taken early off the field? Generals in the faith? Because people wanted to get in that ministry, in that anointing, They started trusting in that man's anointed instead of God's presence in the midst of two or more. God takes them right off the field. He will not tolerate us shifting the focus of our faith and our trust. God won't put up with it. Never has, never will, and he's not going to. If you want help, you gotta look into the hills. You gotta raise your eyes and cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils. I got around preachers that were down, preaching victory to their congregation and they're down. And I'm saying, why? You can't accept God's decisions? You can't give Him any sovereignty? You can't give him any authority over the affairs of men. My Bible said he promotes kings and he demotes kings. He puts them in power and he casts them down. I'm glad I could trust him with all of that. Amen. That doesn't mean I'm not going to vote for conservative. I am. But no man, no woman, no political figure can change the course of this nation short of a revival. Nobody could do that. We've got a space of repentance because while Mr. Trump was in, there were people appointed to the Supreme Court that are not allowing it to go totally woke and totally left. That's a good thing and that's a God thing and that's why he won. But when everybody put their trust in him for everything else, Instead of God, God will not and did not allow it. And if someone could steal it, they'd have to steal it from God, or God's not in control. It's hard for you to hear that, but it's the truth. And we get sad when God makes decisions that go against where we have put all of our faith, when all of our faith should be in Him. And that's what they did. They had joy unspeakable while being scattered throughout the world through heavy, bitter persecution. And if we don't get the joy back, 
in God. I believe God's in control. If I didn't, I'd be lower than a, than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. I would be beat down today in what I'm seeing and hearing. But I'm not because I belong to a different kingdom. And I bow to a different king. And I have been washed, sprinkled in the blood of Jesus. Amen. And I have joy in my heart because I know who's in control. And my faith is not in man. My faith is in the Lord. I got to close. We're taking extra time, but I got to close. Can you, are you ready for persecution? Can you adjust your focus when you leave here today? Can you quit letting the world tear you up? Can you get your focus back on the greatness and the goodness of God? Even David said, I'd fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. No matter how bad it gets down here between here and heaven. Amen. I believe to see God's goodness in my life in spite of it all. Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet today? Didn't come here to be popular, never have. My popularity has long since left. People will give me credit for being a man of God until I tell them something they don't want to hear. <laughs> then suddenly I'm not a man of God anymore. I'm just a, I'm a fanatic. He that hath an ear, a heart that is humble enough to receive, to give heed to it, let him hear. Not what I'm saying, but what the Word of God says. Let him hear what the Spirit says, therefore, unto the church. Persecution should bind us together, not tear us apart. Should set our focus higher than this old fallen world. And whoever becomes President of the United States in this next election, pray for him. Pray for her. Pray for it. (laughs) I'm serious. You don't know what people are going to do out there. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote for that that is in line with the Word of God. Even if the person isn't a Christian. If if they're conservative. If they want to. But I'm going to pray for them because I know in my heart and in the Scriptures tell us. In and of themselves, they can't change the course of this nation. And if we put our trust in them to do it, we've taken our trust from the only one who can do it in order to do that. And it's a subtle, subversive trick of the devil to get us to quit interceding for a revival in this nation. The only thing will be a revival and it will only come through the church. And if the church stands up in this generation and prays, we're going to see some things occur. I prayed last night on my knees. I prayed on my knees. I used to sit in my chair and pray. 
it got too important that I just got down on my knees before the Lord and I cried out. I said, Lord, touch this university campus. It's happening in other places. Why can't it happen here? I want to be, I'm standing in the gap. Who are you? I'm a child of the most high God. Hallelujah. Been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, sanctified by the Holy Spirit and the word. Hallelujah. I can stand in this gap and I can make up this hedge. Whatever's left of my life, I want souls to be saved. I don't want to referee church fights. I want to see souls saved. I don't want to get in any movement that takes me away from that purpose. I don't want to see anything but Jesus high and lifted up. Can you say, I don't want to hear anything but what God is doing, what God is saying. Can you say, man, if you have to turn off the frazzling television, turn it off for a little while. If you have to get off a YouTube, shut it down for a little while. Get some good news into your heart. Get some faith into your spirit. Get some joy into your life. Now, having said that, let's pray together today. This is a battle for the soul of a nation. This is a battle for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. Pray for those kings and those in authority. Pray for them that you might live a peaceable life. Because their decisions will take nations to war, will take young men to battlefields and women, will take us into economic chaos. So pray for them. Have you ever prayed for Biden? Have you ever prayed at all? Some people have. I have too. I pray God get a hold of that man. No, I prayed. I said, Lord, save that man. He's got a faith that he don't even believe in. And it won't take him to heaven. It leaves him under the influence of the enemy. Whoever gets in, pray for them. But pray to a God to take control. Hallelujah, because he's in control. Hallelujah. Can we join hands and hearts? This is a challenge this year. I've never felt the anointing so strong in the message as I feel it right now. How are you going to make it without this kind of joy? This kind of joy. How are you going to make it beleaguered? Beat down, embittered, discouraged, always looking down, talking down, living down in the depths of darkness and despair. God's people are not like that barn yard duck. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary in this race. And they will walk and not faint. Even young men with all of their energy, enthusiasm, and youthful strength, they will ultimately fall and fail. But it doesn't matter what age you are. doesn't matter what physical condition you're in. It's all about your spiritual condition. They that wait upon the Lord, that diligently seek Him, that continually seek Him. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. They will mount up. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. 
Though the fig tree shall not blossom, this is not circumstantial either. Though there be no fruit on the vine and no cattle in the stalls, things are bad and getting worse. (laughs) But I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the God of my salvation, for He will make my feet. He won't change my circumstance, but bless God, He'll change me. Can you say amen? He'll make my feet like hinds feet, and He'll make me to not be stymied and stalled by fear, but He will cause me to make progress in the midst of this. Thrive and not just survive on my high places of persecution, my high places of responsibility, my high places of pressure. He will change me and make me more than enough because He's a more than enough God. For His grace is sufficient and His grace and peace will be multiplied to me. And I'll have everything I need to stand and withstand. Are you with me in that? Will you receive multiplied grace and peace? Will you get your eyes back on Jesus and back on the greatness of our God? Hallelujah. If you'll do that, faith will be activated. Fear will flee. And God will be honored. And you will overcome. And people will look at you and say, I don't know where they're getting it, not in these days. But I want some of that. And they'll come to you. They'll come to you and ask you a reason for the hope that they see in you. And you can tell them about Jesus. Heavenly Father, bless your word. Bless your people. Bless us as we leave here. Draw us together again with our eyes on you. (laughs) And when we leave here, not one quack is going out of this building. No barnyard ducks can you say amen. But eagles, eagles going out to soar in Jesus' name. And everyone said? And everyone said it with more enthusiasm. All righty, thank you. The word of God says he maketh his angels spirit and his ministers a flame of fire. He makes his angels ministering spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. I believe that. I feel it.